closer than it got in northwest Ohio this winter. And what very, very little stuff there is floating around in this void consists of two things, matter and energy. In certain places, this matter has clumped together to form various structures. Some of these structures are giant balls of fire, nuclear explosions that are devouring themselves and emitting huge amounts of radiation in the process. In certain places, these giant fireballs and other more loosely organized structures have clumped together and swirl around like confetti in a whirlpool. Around some of these fireballs, other small clumps of matter spin. Among these giant fireballs, there's one particularly ordinary, rather puny one. And around this one spins, in astronomical perspective, some tiny grains of sand. One of these grains of sand has a thin film of gases that cling tenaciously to it, which because of its magnetic field have not been blown away into space by the ferocious blast of radiation constantly emanating from the nearby fireball. And on this grain of sand over time, hundreds of millions of years of time, and strictly through random chance interactions of natural forces, and through processes entirely unknown, tiny droplets of mostly water developed an outer layer which surrounds and contains them. As far as is known, this has only happened once on all the grains of sand spinning around all the giant fireballs scattered throughout the cold, dark blackness. And again, over time, hundreds of millions of years, and strictly through random chance natural occurrences, these tiny bags of mostly water become mobile and self-replicating and change into various shapes and sizes. One shape eventually becomes self-aware. It knows that it exists. These mostly, about 73%, water bags exist individually for only a very, very tiny instance of time. Then they dry up and dissolve back into their constituent elements. But having learned to replicate themselves by producing additional, mostly, bags of water, they are able to largely infest the entire surface of the grain of sand. So, this story, uh, although it seems a bit odd, is from modern scientific point of view and modern Darwinian thinking, an accurate description of reality and humanity. Perhaps the highest goal of these mostly bags of water is to somehow develop enough mobility to overcome the obstacles posed by the gravitational force pinning them to their current grain of sand Manage to keep their outer layer intact long enough to get across the vast distances to another grain of sand and infest its surface. <laughs> this doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Um, so, we're all just kind of like water balloons. And probably... 
pretty temporary and pretty passing phenomena in the universe. So that's what most of the world is being taught. I mean, it's dressed up a little bit, but that's most of what the world is being taught. That's what science has to offer people. You can mix in some altruistic-sounding social theories if you want to in order to make the whole thing seem a little less bleak. But essentially, it really amounts to, you help me keep my water bag intact, and I'll help you do the same, and then perhaps we might be able to replicate. That's pretty much life. Well, you can skip ahead. We've got that to worry about. And skip ahead. Ultimately, that's kind of the end of things. And skip ahead. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. (laughs) I'm here, yay. (laughs) I'm here to tell the other story. And what I want to talk about is hope. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would encourage us this morning to trust in you to rejoice in hope, and to be a people of hope in a world without it. Amen. There sometimes seems to be some confusion about what the difference is between faith and hope, or in fact, if there is any difference. And the scripture teaches that there is. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul, speaking to the brethren at Corinth about keeping spiritual priorities straight, tells them, after all is said and done, These three will remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So there is a difference between faith and hope. Very often we have difficulty understanding what the biblical meaning of a word is because it's been transformed by our secular culture and common usage to mean something quite different in everyday speech. You may even be able to notice a change in the meaning of words just in your lifetime. So when I was young, a hydrogen bomb explosion or the eruption of a volcano or maybe a complete solar eclipse, that would be considered awesome. Not Heather's new butterfly tattoo. So... That word has kind of changed. I'm not picking on you young people. I myself have depreciated the word awesome so as not to seem dinosauric, which is a word my spell check program chose to remain surprisingly silent about. (laughs) So I guess it's okay. Dinosauric. I don't want to be dinosauric. The word hope in secular usage has really come to mean Somewhat of a wishy-washy, well-intended, but quite often unfounded optimism that somehow everything's going to work out okay. That's not at all what the scripture means by hope. So what is hope, or more precisely, what is biblical hope? And I like this definition. It is a confident expectation of good to come from the hand of God of our Heavenly Father. It is future-oriented, and it's generated by who 
we believe God to be, that he is good. And I shared a couple of weeks ago a message about the goodness of God. I really feel it's, a, it's a, something that Christians need to get deep down in the core of their being. There's two questions everyone has to answer in life. And that is, who is God and who am I? And the first thing that you need to understand about God is that he's good. He's good. And has to be deep down in your heart. Someone once said, every day begins with an act of courage and hope. It's called getting out of bed. Have you ever woke up and you were so weak of heart, so crushed of spirit, so utterly discouraged that getting out of bed was indeed an act of courage and hope, which was just barely manageable? Christians are not immune to suffering. They're not immune to tragedy, illness, disappointment, and failure. You will experience these things in life. But our faith... And who God is enables us to say, along with Job, despite everything that happened to Job, yet will I hope in Him. We always have a reason to get up and to go on. Because regardless of what may happen, our God is good. Our God is just. Our God is merciful. And we have His Holy Spirit dwelling in us, comforting us, And giving us the conviction that in God, suffering has meaning. Psalm 27.13 is the expression of the kind of hope that we have. It's not just a hope for salvation, for resurrection with Christ, although it is that. But it gives us strength and encouragement as we deal with all of the challenges we encounter in life. The psalmist said, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But in saying this, the psalmist is not saying, I look forward to God bringing about those things which I want. What is good is defined by what God regards as good, ultimately good, eternally good. That which accomplishes his purposes, whereas often we're tempted to put our hope in what is temporally good and judge what is good to be equivalent to what we desire. Hope is not the same thing as optimism. It is not the conviction that somehow everything will turn out well by our judgment. But it's the certainty that everything will turn out well to accomplish the purposes and plan of God for us. Romans 8.28 is a very popular verse. It's often quoted. I'm going to skip back a little bit. I'm going to start at verse 18. Because I don't think Romans 8.28 is very good when it's taken just by itself. Starting at verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. If you watch CNN for more than 10 minutes, God's plan right now might appear to be frustrated in his creation, but it is not. Creation is waiting, waiting as uh, these verses say, in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for the plan of God to be consummated, when the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven with the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing on, Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, that's a very dramatic image, isn't it? Groaning with the pains of childbirth. My wife and I have been watching this series called Call the Midwife. And actually, my wife was a midwife. So, and I was there for all three of our deliveries. So I kind of know what the groans of childbirth look like. There's an eager expectation. Not only so, but ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. So along with the creation, we are waiting in eager expectation, in hope, to see the ultimate victory of Christ the cancellation of all the effects of the evil choices of men and women and of those angels who rebelled, the complete restoration of his new heavens and new earth. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? As an example, I do not have a resurrected body. But believe me, I could use one. This one is getting a little worn out. But when the time comes, I fully expect God has one prepared for me. One designed to live eternally. Because Jesus lives, I will live. Because I will be raised up with him. This is my hope. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we have many weaknesses, brethren. Very many weaknesses. Yet the Spirit, powerfully in us, is helping us in all those weaknesses of both the flesh and the Spirit. We do not know what we ought to pray for, for the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And here's what though that verse means. Really think about this. It will give you hope. This verse, this verse means, I'll read it again. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What this verse means is God is praying for you. God is praying for you. That's really something good to meditate about. Now verse 28, the one that we all love. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? It's no less than the complete redemption and restoration of all things in Christ his Son. And because you've put your faith in him, that means you. Expectation from good is not some sort of entitlement that everything will turn out the way we would like it to. But it is the confidence that everything will turn out the way he wants it to. And that is good. That his plan and his purposes are fulfilled is good. And when we're able to understand that, we can rest and we can have peace in the midst of what is often a chaotic world around us. And we can rejoice knowing that what is good for God's purposes will always be proven to be for our ultimate good. And having this understanding of what is good is critical to understanding what true hope is and how important it is in our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And I love the imagery of that verse because shadows shift because things are moving around uh, and the light source is fixed. God himself is constant and unchanging. 1 Timothy 6.15 and 16 describe him as the blessed and only ruler the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and might forever. And hope is meant to produce joy in us as we expectantly and patiently wait, as the psalmist said, to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In the land that C.S. Lewis called the shadow lands, where there are a lot of shifting shadows. We also wait for goodness in the land that as Revelation 21-23 says, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The source of our hope is our faith in the unchangeable character of our God. Hebrews 16, 17, and 20 through 20 
says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purposes very clear to the heirs of what was promised. That's you. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This was the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament. Where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our hope. He is our anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Paul's prayer for the Romans church in his epistle is this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are people who live in hope, who by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us overflow with hope. We speak of hope. We share hope with a world that is decidedly unhopeful. Hebrews 11.1 tells us hope is a confidence, or faith is a confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. So there's, a, again, this relationship between faith and hope. So are you confident this morning? Are you assured that God is working in all things for the good in you? His good, and therefore your good, right now. We can hope for something that may happen or that we may receive in the future, but the Scripture teaches that faith is the substance and proof that though it lies in the future, because of the unchangeableness of God, it is actually ours right now. I have my resurrected body right now. Right now, I have it. Our faith is in a spiritual sense, and by that I mean a real sense, the now possession of the good things to come from the hand of our Heavenly Father. Sometimes if you look things up in the original language, lo and behold, it turns out it means exactly the same thing as the English translation says it means. But sometimes there's a little something extra. So I looked up this word assurance. And in the Greek, it's the word hypostasis. And the prefix hypo means beneath or underneath. And stasis means a state or status or structure. So an alternative translation would be foundation. Foundation of what lies beneath and forms the, found, the basis of our daily continuing hope is our faith in who God is and what he's accomplished in his son Jesus. As the old hymn says, 
Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the most rock-steady foundation you can build on. And in reality, it's the only hope this world has. For if God had not sent His Son to redeem us through His sacrificial death in our place, enabling God to forgive us our sins, there would be no hope. There'd be no hope for you, for me, and no hope remaining for this world. Hope is described by Peter in his first epistle, 1-3, as living. It's not a passive thing. I think people tend to think of hope as a passive thing. You know, it's like, man, I hope things get better. I don't know. But it's not. Biblical hope is not passive. It's really to be a power in our lives. It strengthens our hearts. It helps us endure gets us through hard times, and can give us peace and joy in the midst of them. In the midst of tragedy and suffering and disappointments and sadness that we encounter as we live out our lives in a broken and fallen world. This is what Peter says in chapter 1, starting in 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember the creation, groaning, waiting for the revelation of the children of God? That's it again. Guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Our hope is Jesus, the one that we love and the one who loved us enough to become one of us, live with us, die for us so that we might live with him forever. Our hope is not wishy-washy optimism. And although it looks to that which is unseen, it has substance and life because underneath it is our faith in the one who lives and reigns forever, Jesus Christ. Of all the ways that God could have chosen to relate to his children, he chose faith. I don't know why. I believe it has something to do with love. And it's an integral part of giving and receiving love. Of being able to relate to Him and to know Him. Faith is what He asks of us. It is what He requires of us. And we can choose to believe. I remember the time before coming to know God, I used to think, well, some people seem to believe for whatever reason, and some people don't. I don't. And that's pretty much the end of it. But God in His grace showed me I could reach out to Him. Who I could not see, could not touch. And He would respond. 
If I would draw near to Him just a tiny step, He would respond with love and more and more revelation of Himself. With more reasons for me to believe in Him. More understanding of His plan and purpose for my life and my being. Hope starts with faith. And hope becomes the evidence that what we've believed, who we have believed, is true. So how can we be more hopeful, less fearful, less worried? Is it possible to grow in hope just as we can grow in faith? It is. In fact, the Scripture teaches that we can have so much hope that it actually will spill out, presumably soaking everyone around you. Paul says in the verse that we looked at earlier in Romans, the God of hope can fill us with joy and peace if we will trust in Him. And that we can overflow with hope by the power of His Holy Spirit in us. The world needs the people in its midst overflowing with hope. In the midst of the hopelessness that you see everywhere, we are that people. And we have a message of hope to author, to offer. We have a different story than the one about the mostly bags of water. So we're going to take communion together now. It's a very simple thing, very simple act of faith. We take a piece of bread, we dip it into a cup of juice, and we eat it. And the bread is in remembrance of his body, which was broken for us. And the juice is a remembrance of his blood that was spilt for us. And when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, they are digested And they become a part of us. And the remembrances also become a part of us because they are digested by our hearts. And we remember the one who is our hope both now and eternally, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.